Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Luke Willis. Luke, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, So I've been on Luke's podcast a couple times, but I think this is your first visit here. So maybe you could tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm Luke Willis. I am a developer by trade um, that is now working in the the blockchain space. So um, I'm currently iterating on my positioning, and we'll we'll get into (laughs) that a little bit later, I assume. Uh, But yeah, so basically I am working with web three companies and dApp developers and trying to figure out the right way to position what I do and who I help. Um, and then what specifically I should be offering for those, those groups. Cool. Okay. So target market focus, product ladder, content marketing. Okay. So, uh, what, I mean, I'm familiar with all this, you know, I know, but just for the listener, um, what, what content marketing are you doing now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I basically copied the Jonathan Stark playbook and uh, Smart. <laughs> created a uh, a daily newsletter and a weekly podcast. Um, I've been following your work for a long time, so uh, just enjoyed the format a lot and the content, of course. So it was kind of a natural fit. I'd always been looking for something to uh, to to take that approach with. Um, and since I was in software, I didn't want to just be another voice of all the many developers talking about whatever it was, right? So um, when I decided to jump into the blockchain space, um, I, it seemed like there was a gap and there was specific things that I wanted to talk about that I didn't see other people talking about. So I, I ran with it and it's been going really well. Cool. And, and on what metric would you say it's going really well? Like subscribers and downloads and, you know, sort of like, those sorts of content metrics yeah or like okay um i mean i've only been doing this for six months or so um <laughs> shocking it's so just not to interrupt but yeah because i'm on your list because i'm super interested in crypto for various reasons yeah and we basically met if i'm remembering correctly or we started uh, like a real conversation mm-hmm when I was trying to like, I was investigating on mostly on Twitter, like trying to get past the hype and say like, like, is there actually a, a there there? Or is this just a bunch of <laughs> Ponzi scheming frat boys with, you know, yeah, like yeah. What's, what's going on here? Cause well, a lot of this sounds pretty bad, but anyway, your superpower then and now is that you're amazing at actually describing what the heck is going on. Thank you. You know, yeah, it's great in a, in a, in a, in a reasonable way and like a non hyperbolic way. And, uh, and the reason I interrupted you was because I, it feels like I've been on the mailing list for a lot longer than six months in, in a good way. <laughs> That's awesome. It feels, it feels like it's always been there. Yeah. So it's amazing how that, that, uh, you know, being on the receiving end of a short daily message keeps, just keeps you top of mind in the reader's inbox, yeah. top of inbox in the reader's mind about your area of expertise. So like in my mind, you are, you are very well positioned, but I, I think, no, I think a lot of it comes from, I think a lot of it in my mind is a combination of not just the mailing list, but the mailing list and conversations we've had either on your podcast or on Twitter. Yeah. So I do think there is some room for improvement there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Cool. I appreciate you saying that. Um, 
Yeah, I think it started. I I reached out to you saying, hey, thanks for all you've done. I I started a a newsletter and it's gone well. (laughs) And then you were like, oh, do you have a link? And it happened to be blockchain and something you were looking into. So Mm. that's good. Yeah, cool. And then the podcast, how's that? What have you found from doing the podcast? Yeah, um, the podcast has been great because... uh, I there so it's interesting because I don't have that many subscribers or listeners. Um, I think I have like 150 newsletter subscribers and more than that reading on Twitter and all that. But um, it's it's weird because people who I know a little bit uh, from this community are like they they treat me like I'm just like I've always been there. Like you're saying, yeah, exactly. Um. So, so it's cool that I can have these discussions with people who I know are, you know, very deeply into crypto. Um, and so while I don't think the, the number is very high, like the, the quality of the connections in terms of potential future business is, is really good. So mm. if I can hit the, the positioning correctly, especially as this, this blockchain that I'm, I've kind of used as my centerpiece getting started. Mm-hmm um, takes off. I'm, I'm in a good position to, to benefit from that. Mm, Yes. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely see that. And I think it's specific to my experience with the list and not through our conversation, but the, the associate, the sort of loose association or your sort of like platform that you picked, if platform is maybe not the right word, but protocol or whatever, but the, Mm -hmm. the horse you're betting on to a certain extent is, uh, coin Yep. But you, you keep, you keep the, the newsletter pretty, um, I mean, general, it's very specific, but it's not, it's not like shilling for Coinos. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's important to me because yes, you're right that I started this initially thinking that I was just going to write about Coinos. Um, and basically it's a new blockchain and it's being developed by a group. And one of the people is somebody that I really trust from real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I was just like you. I, I thought that crypto was all scams and Ponzi schemes and um, was pretty skeptical about getting into it. I had no money in the game. And then when my, my friend started working in the space, I got a little bit more interested. And then when they started working on Coinos, um, I finally put in some time just to understand it a little bit more and kind of saw the light and decided to throw my effort at it. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, you're right that it started with Coinos, but the, the initiative there is all about uh, accessibility of the blockchain space where today people like you and me look at it and say, <laughs> you know, the perception's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to put in money before I can even try this thing out. There's a huge level of education here um, just to really understand anything. Mm-hmm. And then um, like, okay, now that I've put in money, I have to set up a wallet. What is that? And <laughs> how do I manage that? And you're telling me that people can steal this just by knowing these words. And yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. weird, right? So a giant, gigantic barrier to entry. Correct. Yeah. So Coinos is really trying to reduce the barrier to entry. And so my angle was initially Coinos, but now I think it's beyond that, um, where I'll always put probably the majority of my effort towards Coinos. And I, I could just say I'm only doing stuff on Coinos. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are 
dApps or decentralized applications for people listening um, that are out there, not on Coinos, that would benefit from some of the the lessons that I've learned and and the messaging I have. Mm. Yeah, that's my that's my intuition is that that's that's the safer bed. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but the, <laughs> yeah. the problem with the well, the ch- problem there's a it's a double edged sword betting on a platform. Sure. The 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 benefit is that, and it doesn't matter if it's a blockchain or if it's Shopify or uh, Facebook ads or whatever, whatever is the thing, the platform that you, that a developer or a designer or really any independent professional, what, whatever they, the platform they bet on, if they have a platform specialization, their fortunes are going to rise and fall with the platform. So if when the platform's on the rise, especially if they're early, like you are, you can go to the moon, <laughs> to coin a phrase. <laughs> yeah. But but when the platform goes down, I'm thinking of Flash. Mm-hmm. Then you're you're out of business overnight. And right. It's it's usually not that dramatic on either end. But you know, I have I came from a I had a platform specialization at one phase of my career, and it's a platform that's steadily in decline. And and so you see all you know. So the market is receding. There's not they're not minting new customers really. Right. So yeah. that's normal. That's more what what would be common like. I feel like I don't know. It might Rails might even be I don't know. Rails maybe never die, but but there are there are platforms out there that were exciting and popular, and people were like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a Notion consultant or a Monday consultant or mm-hmm. Airtable," and and not that any of those are in decline, but if they do go down, then you've got you know they become less popular. They get replaced by a shinier, newer thing. Then when people are you know, then you you've got five, 10 years of, I don't know, content marketing out there that is no longer relevant. And you want to be so so for me, it feels like a safer bet to diversify into a little bit up from a I I don't love platform specializations, they they can be real quick win. But it's for me, it's not a place to build a durable business, because eventually the platform, you're just betting on somebody else too much for my taste. That's all. Sure. That's really how it is. I think that's fair. Um, And you're and the and I think there's so much demand or need or desire for clarity in what the heck is going on in this whole space that on the one hand it feels like I'm suggesting like oh no be blurrier in your specialization like <laughs> instead of focusing on this particular platform be blurrier and and be the person who can explain this space in plain English but if, if you think about it this the the larger ecosystem whatever you want to call it blockchain crypto web3 dapps whatever you want to call it is still so new and poorly understood uh, and and even though it could theoretically be a phase, it's surely less of a phase than any individual blockchain, if you right. see what I'm saying. Yeah. So it feels like a safer bet, even though normally I'm telling people to, to drill down and get more specific. You're, you're like way, way, way down in a specialization already. So for me, it feels my intuition is a little bit more like, yeah, I wouldn't be particular on a blockchain. Uh, I think being a little bit more general in the specialization is still hyper specific. And the other thing in this space about being talking about a particular blockchain too much is it's just like, oh, oh, he's shilling. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, because it's rampant already. So to stay away from that, it's almost like your differentiator is that you never show. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I never shill, but I, I, <laughs> I don't shill without good reason, right? I'm not just saying coinos to the moon or, or whatever. <laughs> I'm if if I have a point to make about accessibility and it benefits from describing a specific feature of various blockchains, not just coinos. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to put that out there. And and I'll say in my newsletter all the time, you know, if you're familiar with any other blockchain that has this capability or is thinking about this problem, please let me know. I would love mm-hmm. to add it to my list of examples. Right. I feel like I pull on Coinos uh, maybe too frequently just because it's the only example I know in all my research that really is, is actually trying to tackle these problems. Yeah. So for you, the onboarding experience is super important. And right now there's only one option. Right. Yes. Yeah. I get that too. It's like, it's like in my podcasting course, I tell people to just use zoom, even though it's not the best quality. There's, there's just a a variety of factors. It's the easiest for your guests because they definitely know it. Right. So, you know, like, so same thing when people are just getting started with something that is new and scary like podcasting or crypto, (laughs) then I'm like, make everything as easy as humanly possible so that the onboarding experience is really, really smooth. And then once you get the basics down and, and it doesn't feel like you're on this massive learning curve all the time, then you can look around and start replacing little bits of your, I don't know, workflow or whatever your process with something a little more sophisticated, a little bit more of a power tool type of thing. But yeah, I, so, so, to tie that back to what I was saying before between the platform specialization and more of the horizontal focus in the blockchain space in general, it's, it feels like accessibility or onboarding. I don't love that word by the way, sure. because it's, it's overloaded, but um, onboarding people into crypto in general feels much more, uh, feels more like the sun in your solar system. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like, this, this, like you said, this coin, this chain's going to go to the moon or this coin's going to go to the moon. It's like, eh, it's not about that really. It right. just happens to be the only one that it happens to be the best one right now, as far as you know. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, let me, so I, I started out talking about Coinos because I wanted to get more involved and meet the smart people who are working on it and um, just kind of expand my own learning much more quickly than going it alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you knew someone that you trusted from the real world. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that really de-risked it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so then from there, I realized that there's more to this. And I started uh, using the uh, the positioning statement. Um, I help full stack developers uh, build ridiculously accessible blockchain apps. Mm. And that, I think, got some traction. Um, people are interested in the idea of accessibility of blockchain, but uh, you're right. It's an overloaded term. People are saying, well, especially for web developers. Yes. Is this about, you know, ADA accessibility or is this, um, you know, color blindness and that sort of thing? Yeah. Screen readers Um, and right. Yeah. Are we talking about, uh, just onboarding a ton of users? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and more, more of the latter. Um, but that, like, if you put it that way, it sounds scammy. Right. (laughs) Um, so I've been playing around with different approaches and just in feedback I've gotten, um, from people who I've interviewed for the podcast, it seems like there's, uh, 
there's opportunity for helping companies that are already in the Web3 space mm -hmm. with their dApps um, more than like onboarding new people. Because I think there's already great tools and people that are writing content for that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's not quite like the same format. You know, it's not necessarily a short newsletter or, uh, you know, so there's a little bit of a barrier of you got to put in the time to go through this course. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, like I'm okay with letting other people take that and handle developers and various people who want to get in for one reason or another. Mm, yeah, like a sufficiently motivated developer can figure it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, even I deployed a smart contract. It's like, and I haven't barely coded yeah 10 years so <laughs> um, but it is a giant pain it, it's really well anyway whatever don't want it's, so okay so full stack so it's so it's so you're not going to release a product that's like uh for full stack developers who wanted to deploy their first dap in a weekend right. for free right right okay so so when you say uh help so so what was the newer help companies who are already in web three with their dApps, like what problems are they having with their dApps? Yeah. So I've found that there's, there's kind of two sides to this. So, um, we talk about web two, web three, if you're using any website you use today, Google, Facebook, whatever, those are all web two. Mm -hmm. Um, and then websites that are, uh, backed by the blockchain is a web three app or a mm -hmm. dApp. <clears throat> so, uh, I want to talk about Web3 companies, that's groups of people which are typically smaller than their revenue would suggest from what I see. Smaller in what way? Uh, Headcount. Okay. Um, like, you know, 10 or 15 people and they've already raised millions of dollars. And mm -hmm. yeah, so um, the the size factor, like they, they have money <laughs> and they mm -hmm. want to spend it on things that will actually move the needle. Mm -hmm. um, yes, but what's the needle? Right, the needle. So if they're coming at it from the Web 2 side and they're adding in Web 3 features, then most of the time they're already thinking about the stuff that I talk about um, because they want to keep their existing users and bring mm. some of them over to the blockchain side. Okay, so, so, but I'm assuming if a company with 10 or 15 people that has already raised millions of dollars, they're not an existing Web 2 company that has been doing pretty well and then they're going to sprinkle some web three on it right. or, or so. Yeah. Usually that those companies are on like they're pure web three and they're, right. they have a smart contract. Maybe they have a little bit of like a traditional backend somewhere, mm -hmm. but like they mm -hmm. try to just have a, a front end that talks to the smart contract and like mm -hmm. keep it as, as light and decentralized as possible, mm -hmm. um, which is great. But what that means for the experience for users is that they have to have a wallet loaded with tokens and understand yeah. what they're doing to even right. get started. Right. Um, which honestly, like, it's fine. You can do, you can have a business like that and be successful. There's enough people on Ethereum or whatever chain who have money to spend with you that you'll be fine. Um, but you have to target like fewer higher value customers. Mm -hmm. Um where right now there's like, I don't even know, it's like one to 5% of the world is on blockchain compared with, you know, whatever the percentage is of the world that's actually using the internet. I'm surprised it's that high. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think those numbers are inflated because that's just like people who, when I say use blockchain, like maybe they set up a Coinbase account and threw a dollar oh, at oh, it. Oh, okay, right? okay, okay, yeah. Um, 
like people who are actually going out and running dApps and and all that. Like I think right, that's but how many are. wallets are there? That's the real number. Right. And and even that's misleading because most people who have a fair amount of money in the space have it spread across multiple wallets. Right. So, and it's hard to track that down because everybody's anonymous and yeah. Yep. Um anyway, so but, yeah, so so the so because when you said, you know, established web 2 companies moving to web 3, that sounds like a really interesting market. Yeah. Like that could be a really good target. Yeah, for sure. Um like I how the I heck had, are you going to blend those two things? How are you going to how are you going to migrate that over? Right. And and there's a huge perception issue with that too. Like gaming companies are very interested in adding like NFTs into the um, you know, if you want to have a character skin, you could sell that as an NFT and then mm. um the benefit to that would be if somebody plays your game, they like it, they want to buy it. Okay, they can do that. And then if they want to stop playing your game today with Web2, they're just stuck. They spent the money. It's gone. Um, mm. With that being an NFT, <clears throat> there's a secondary market for that. You can right. go and you can sell that skin or whatever it is to somebody else. Right. So you can okay. take the money that you put in and, and move it to whatever else you want to do. So um, that... Uh, right. And you could imagine, so now like CSGO has an in-game marketplace already, and I'm sure others do as well. Roblox, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, which doesn't require blockchain at all. And True. But that's a feature that they had to build. Exactly. Right. right. That's exactly where I was going with that. Cause there most games don't have that. Right. And, and I can imagine why it sounds like a massive undertaking. Right. Uh, but wow, what a moneymaker. So if you sure. could... So it it almost does, as complex as all of this stuff is, it almost does seem like the cheaper and easier way is to get. And because like these kids, like these 12 year olds, they'll figure out a wallet like they they can. It's unbelievable. Like I have a 12 year old. It's unbelievable the stuff they figure out, you yeah. know, in terms of like like the hoops they'll jump through to improve their frame rate or it's unreal. So they, and they aren't familiar with any other, um, they're not, they don't have another option anyway. Right. It's it's not like they, you know, so, uh, it it almost does seem like shockingly like a path of, it might even be the path of least resistance. And if you correct me if I'm wrong, but the gaming company could set up the contract in such a way that they take a, they get a percentage of every secondary, every sale in the secondary market. True. Yeah, they could so make would, royalties off of future sales. Yeah. So it would be, you know, so as the player, you can get your money out of it and maybe make money. I mean, you could theoretically speculate. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, you know, the people do it in CSGO. Right. Um, but you can, uh, can you ever, I don't think you can ever cash out. That's the thing. I don't think you can right. ever cash out. Yeah. I mean, it with games where the marketplace is all within the game, usually you're trading some in-game currency and there's not always an off-ramp to t- convert that into whatever money you want. Yeah. You'd almost have to do it on like Craigslist or something right. like eBay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's actually a thing like for World of Warcraft players back in the day, you would, you know, get your account to level whatever it was. And then if you didn't want to play anymore, you could just auction off your password. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, yeah. yeah, like that's a thing you could do. Yeah. I, I knew a kid in the 90s. I met a kid in the 90s who was 16 at the time. And he would just come home and play EverQuest, mm-hmm. you know, all, all evening after school. And then 
meet up with adults in the game and sell them magical items that he had yeah. crafted or found <laughs> and on eBay. And it was yeah. like, I was like, my head exploded back then. Now it's like common practice, but in the stuff's built in. But anyway, okay. So, so two, so there's, there's an example of potential, potentially interesting target market. So gaming companies that want to explore this mm-hmm. space, like, you know, the combination of NFTs and in, it's not really in game marketplace anymore, but it is a secondary market, create a secondary market for skins mm-hmm. and that's that's how how much have you explored that like you brought it up you must have thought about it before so how how much exploration have you done into that space yeah i mean i've thought about it the i guess the the interesting thing about that to me is the perception like because they have web 2 users what i've seen is that uh when they announce we're going to add in nfts like the community revolts <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's it's a scam and it's just a money grab and and you know whatever you want to call it that there there are benefits to the technology for the users for the players or, or you know whatever we could talk about gaming we could talk about event ticketing um mm-hmm. any any number of things um but as soon as you throw around the buzzword of nft you're gonna polarize your audience hmm. yeah i wouldn't and, even call it that i just call it skins right exactly and yeah. you know, if it's an NFT, great. If it's not, whatever. Yeah, they wouldn't. Um, even, they don't even need to know, really. Right. Exactly. And, and that's that's the thing I don't think people get is when when you're a Web two company, you're looking at all these blockchain companies with crazy valuations and money, and you're saying, "I want in on that action." So you you want to broadcast to the world that you have NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um. But your users don't care. They right. might care once you put it in front of them and they play with it and they say, oh, actually, that's cool. But mm-hmm. it, it's not a selling point. For the people that it is a selling point, great. You can put it in, you know, Bitcoin magazine or something. <laughs> um, but for, <laughs> for, for your average user that is already playing your game, they don't care. They don't yeah, want my- same, same and and just one data point my 12 year old i was i asked him like do you know what nfts are and he rolled his eyes <laughs> and he was like yeah that's when somebody spends a million dollars for a stupid jpeg for the profile picture <laughs> yeah. right so you're right like exactly but if i don't even see like if the if the gaming company not that we need to solve this technically but but if the gaming company acted as a cust- like custodian of the private keys mm-hmm. then it would be a re- you know, they'd still have that vulnerability, but they'd have that anyway. Right. If they were doing it in the web two way that CSGO did. Right. They're, you know, so. So there, there's a couple differences. The, when you're the custodian of the private keys, you have the, the risk, but if it's all in your centralized database and somebody, you know, hacks in and steals your, your data. Okay. You got some bits that describe the sort of whatever, Right. But you can't do anything with that. If it's on blockchain and you get access to that, well, now you can go sell it. <laughs> and the company is just out. They, they don't have that anymore. Um, n- now you can write your smart contracts in a way that lets you like revoke and recreate and stuff like that. So, so there's, you can reduce the risk that way. Um, but yeah, like having custodial accounts where the, um, the company or some third party owns the 
the wallets for the users. And then if you have sufficiently advanced users who want to transfer it to their own wallets, that's fine. You enable mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, but really, right, it, you make it an option. Exactly. Yeah, you make it an option. But if you want to have ease of access for non-blockchain savvy users, the wallets are the big part. You know, yeah. they don't want to manage that. And then the tokens. Like today, if you were to build anything like this on Ethereum, they would have to go buy ETH tokens to start playing your game, which is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, we need to have solutions, and this is why I'm keen on Coinos, where the company can hold the tokens for the users and still let them play the game. So hold the keys. Uh, the, so the keys to the wallets, but also the tokens to power transactions. So on, on Ethereum, the person who's performing the transaction has to own the token, the ETH. Um, so it, even if it's a custodial wallet, there has to be ETH in the wallet for you to do anything. Right. So in, in your terminology, Coinbase is holding that coin. Correct. Because they have the private key. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So we don't need to solve this, but I do think yeah, yeah. I just wanted to go down that a little bit to see if there was an interesting, I mean, in theory, one could build an entire business around enabling the secondary market, you know, behind the scenes with blockchain and, and private keys without, you know, the marketing of that to the gamers, like that's a separate issue, but I mean, you could, ta you could, maybe that's part of what you would tackle. It's like, well, how do we sell this to users? It's like, you don't, you just like make it, it's just a different way to build. You wouldn't sell the concept of a secondary market. In other words, you wouldn't need to explain to gamers that, oh, now you can sell your knife skin. Right. They'd be like, sweet. Awesome. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you wouldn't normally be like in the, in the back end is Postgres and we're using APIs and you know, it's like <laughs> no one cares. Right. It's just a way for the gaming company to start to get in into the space in a way that is uh, just as secure. Right. Uh, but I'm sure there'd be, you know, there's there would be a huge amount of it would be a minefield because there's just not enough people who know how to do this in a way that is, you know, they're not going to get your foot blown off. I mean, like right. every every day someone it's like every day someone loses thirty seven million dollars of of crypto because they typoed a address or something. I mean, you see it all the time. So there's so much excitement. There's so much money. There's so much risk of losing the money, uh, brand damage. It is the perfect, this particular target market, if there is demand is the perfect model for value pricing projects because sure. there's so much risk and what they, all they really need well, all they really need, like they can probably get developers, but what they really need is experience. Right. And everything's so new. It's, it's this combination of newness and excitement that creates the perfect storm for value pricing. Yeah. So that, yeah. you know, if that was, you know, to maybe switch over to product ladder a little bit, because mm -hmm. you can't really talk about a product ladder unless you know who your, your target market is. Sure. So if that were the target market, you know, gaming companies that were trying to create a secondary marketplace using NFTs and, and blockchain yep, and their own coin or something that would be, yeah. So you'd have sort of a project, you'd have an advisory retainer, like oversight month to month. Uh, you would have, you would have, you probably could have a very specific training workshop 
for their developers. Um, sure. But in my my limited experience with gaming companies, their they their developers are not web developers. Like they don't know anything about web development. Right. They're all game developers, which is a completely different stack. It is, yeah. And if they have and and like the market, like the marketing department would be the one with the web developers in general. I guess it depends, but but yeah. So there could anyway. There could be. I could imagine a I don't know X two three four day training crash course boot camp or something for game developers or people that work gaming company employees. I don't know what they would call them to create in game marketplace or well, I guess. It, it still would be in game. Is that the right terminology? Yeah, it would still be in game. So, the like blockchain the skins wouldn't it, go anywhere else. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, because it's NFTs or whatever, if you want to put in your own wallet and go use OpenSea or whatever to do it, to do the the secondary market, you can. But mm-hmm. you would probably still build like an interface in the game for the secondary market part of it. I think you'd have to because. If, if you're going to take this custodial approach and, and the wallet was only an option. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so they, they need, right. So the, right. So the game company needs an open C. Yes. Internally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So basically what we're talking about and like, I'm not sold on the idea of just working with gaming companies, um, mm-hmm. but let, let's run down that, that, that path. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could, I could help indie game shops, um, add nft functionality to their games without alienating users or players Ooh, right? yeah yeah that was a great way to put it i'm glad we're recording this yeah <laughs> um because i think that's yes. that's a huge topic like because like there's all sort of sorts of things in the news from companies that announce nfts and then quickly backpedal <laughs> yep uh and that's the moment that you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. So if you can deal right. with the idea of getting into the space in their mind and, and in their players' perception, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Right. And and from the standpoint of the, the indie studio, mm-hmm. the idea of being able to go to a blizzard or something like that and say mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, and, and we, we threaded that needle. Yeah. That is going to make you... I assume because of the excitement, at least right now, I'm going to assume that that is going to make that studio very attractive, like an acquisition target or, or could raise tons of money because people are going to want to like, it's a good point. Yeah. You know, so it's attractive to the, to the buyer in the right. studio. Cause yeah, if, if I were to go and try to consult Activision or, or electronic arts or whatever <clears throat> on adding NFTs into their games, I'm going to get passed around from executive to engineer and it, it just doesn't feel good to me in terms of the size of the company. Mm-hmm. I would rather work with the small shops and make them more attractive to acquisition by the large companies. Right. Um, I think that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. So that's okay. So that's interesting. But like you said, you're not convinced, but I actually know someone who works with indie studios that, that I could, I'm sure would be happy to talk to you about the, the, how realistic something like that would be. Cause some of these studios are like just two people and sure. you know, they're you're right. So, but there, maybe there's a middle ground where who knows, maybe there's a middle ground. Yeah. You know, I think Minecraft was two people. So, okay, cool. 
Um, anyway, okay, so what are some other, so, so is the the reasonably established, maybe not ginormous, but like an established Web2 company that you feel, is? do you think there's demand from companies like that who want to get into the Web3 space or at least find out if there are opportunities for them in Web3? Yeah, there are. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm still struggling to see like the best uh web two industry to target initially mm -hmm. because uh like the, the applicability <laughs> of blockchain is is very widespread like if you just look at the technology and you stop caring about the the token price and <clears throat> the scheming and shilling and all that mm -hmm. um there's a lot of power in decentralization and a distributed ledger um so we yeah, could a novel talk about data store. What, what was that? It's a novel data store. It's like it's like yes. when relational databases came out. It was like it's broadly applicable, but yeah. at first it's like, well, what do we need this for? We have EDA or EDC or whatever it was called. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, there are there's consumer startups. Um, like I have a a podcast episode with uh, a company called Ozone that they're they're basically trying to reward web users for their data right and mm -hmm. that's that's pretty niche um there's not a whole lot of companies out there doing that you have like you know honey and rakuten and like that sort of uh coupon incentive uh mm -hmm. space and i don't really know what to call that mm -hmm. um but there there's interest there in adding in um like you know a stable coin as rewards and uh storing various data on blockchain and that sort of thing um yeah but, that's okay yeah <laughs> uh, why you know it's like see the part of the the decentralization thing is interesting to the end user i would think it'd be more interesting to the end user than to any individual company because it means their membership rewards can be spent anywhere and the whole point of having membership rewards mm. is to keep you locked in Right. Yeah. So adding portability, spending money to add portability would be like cutting yourself with your own knife. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and yeah, like I, I think I've written about it before where uh, if you're talking about memberships, something like a Starbucks gift card, um, mm -hmm. it doesn't really make sense to put that on blockchain because it's about yeah, like it's inherently centralized. It's my company working with all of my customers to give them rewards at my company. Right. Um, it's meant to be a walled garden. Right. Exactly. And people are fine with that. So putting it on blockchain doesn't really add anything. Um, right. There's like you could, <laughs> um, but it's more like it's it's a level up from there. If you wanted to build a like an incentive program that can be spent at any number of places like if you're amex and exactly. you want to take your membership rewards and put that um in a way that you can spend it with hilton or delta or whatever that's right. something you could do on blockchain and potentially save yourself some effort right but they did do that through partnerships with those companies exactly and it's still it's just all behind the scenes and and opaque and not you know but it's so okay yeah, and now that it's built, it, they're not really looking to <laughs> layer in blockchain. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it potentially would have been right. There might so there might be another company that's similar, 
in terms of what they offer that doesn't want to go through all those partnerships and Mm -hmm. really would rather just have this essentially a protocol that people could opt into Mm -hmm. more like um, trying to think of a trying to think about I I feel like Zapier kind of it kind of reminds me of Zapier but not exactly because they must still have partnerships with the people that like if you could if you could create your own zaps yeah for your app like if if I could create a zap for my website Mm -hmm. that other people could then use Zapier to integrate with my website I mean essentially that's just a front end for an API so but that's not it's not not important because it makes the accessibility so much easier yeah okay anyway yeah um, Anyway, I think we're kind of dancing around the the ch- the challenge here is companies that are in web 2 mm-hmm. and want to layer in blockchain understand that it's not an all or nothing thing. You don't want to force your users to learn about blockchain, set up a wallet and buy tokens. Correct. That that's how you alienate users. Mm-hmm. Um so you have to, you know, either hide it with custodial accounts and um, you know accepting credit card payments and handling everything kind of in house behind the scenes, but that's um, probably already built. M- mostly. Well, uh, sorry, sorry. I meant what I meant was they probably already do have a lot of that stuff. Right, which means that it's just basically changing the the workings behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Right. So why it. would I want to do that? So I'm I run a, let's say I run a I don't know a membership community. Mm-hmm. And or, or no, let's say I run Teachable, which is okay. like a place where people can sell courses or Gumroad or something like that, like these sort of platforms. Sure. It's not not a gigantic company, but, you know, pretty big mm-hmm. in terms of revenue. Um, and I want to what do I want that would cause me to be sniffing around someone like you? I, yeah. I want some of that Web3 money, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, you want some of the Web3 money. You want... Um, through and it would come from investors, which would come from investors. You know, maybe you want to do an, an IDO or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think that kind of the, the thing that I see that I don't think people are out sniffing for is that if you do it right, it can save you time and money and effort because building a DAP that benefits from all the stuff that you get for free with blockchain and just leverages that system means you don't have to build the secondary marketplace. You don't have to build, um, you know, transfers of data or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, as long as you just write a, you know, 50 line smart contract for an NFT, you get all of that stuff for free. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot less maintenance headache of keeping your systems running. Um, you, you get to focus more on the like the end result for your users and spend your development time on things that are closer to the user instead of the stuff behind the scenes that they don't they don't benefit from like mm-hmm. it needs to be there but it's not really a value add in the user's mind right so so from a so from a developer standpoint the if I were building something new yeah like a SaaS mm-hmm I would be, and wallets were widely accepted in my target market. Like my target market, everybody's got a wallet. Let's just say, you know, sure. we fast forward a few years and every, it's like having an email. Like, yeah, you have a wallet. Duh. Everyone has a wallet. Right. Like maybe it gets built into some of the most popular browsers or something in a way that's actually secure. I don't know. Like everyone has a wallet now, or at least in my target market of developers, let's say. 
And I'm like, I want to build a SaaS. Me, Jonathan Stark, would absolutely do that. I would absolutely. I mean, the amount of time and money it would save to not have to build all of that non-value add garbage in the background. It's not, I mean, you need it right now, but um, yeah, no, thank you. I don't want any of that stuff. Right. But so someone like, so let's say, but that's, that's coming at it from scratch. If I have a SaaS, like that's who we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I already built all that stuff. My dev team already built all that stuff. It's yeah. probably integrated with Stripe or something similar. And really like, it's too late. Like I would just be deleting a bunch of code and giving myself a worse onboarding experience for my users. So that'd be a net negative. Right. Maybe I would, maybe it would decrease ongoing maintenance costs or like server costs or database costs. Maybe, maybe not. So it feels more like the cash grab is the thing that would cause a a web two company or, or the possible feeling of irrelevance. But I don't, I think it's way too early for that. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, there are companies who are excited about the idea of NFTs or whatever, right? They they want in on that because it makes them look more attractive to investors, and mm-hmm. you know, there it it is a money grab in some way. I'm not all that interested in the money grab side of it, but I think that that's maybe the entry point to where I can start collecting some. Uh, some more quantitative, you know, if you do this for your business, then we can cut your costs by X percent or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm always like, you're, you, cause the, you're playing in a space where, well, let me back up. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about a positioning statement, it's got four components, like a laser focused positioning statement. It's got your discipline, which is what you'd call yourself. And maybe you'd call yourself like a web three consultant or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's the target market, which we've been talking about the most. And then there's the expensive problem. That's usually what I call it. But there's there's a flip side of expensive problem, which is more of a cost savings type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually it's much easier. It's usually much easier to sell a buyer on cutting this $10,000 a month out of their budget or whatever right. the cost savings would be. But there's a flip side to it. Some Some companies aren't looking to do that. Some companies are looking to capture a big opportunity, and that's the kind of space you're in. Right. So it feels like the the it would be two dramatically different kinds of buyers. They'd probably have different job titles. They'd have different motivations. If you were selling selling your services as a cost cutting measure, you're going to probably be talking to CFOs or COOs or or CTOs. Probably not even CTOs. It'd be like. It'd be like the the managerial people that count the beans and make sure the trains run on time. Sure. If you're selling the big opportunity, you're talking to the CEO, the founder, the visionary. So, you know, and it's it's a tougher sell. It's usually tougher to get to those people. And, you know, given an organization of a particular size, it's the hardest person to get to is going to be the person on top. So, uh, but that is the person who who sees the future. And yeah. we'll make bets on the on the opportunity. And so the space that you're in is it would be a huge difference uh, in a day to day experience, like customer, you know, like your working life would be very different working with, um, a, let's just say, a COO versus a CEO. True. CEO is probably going to have shiny object syndrome and have a million ideas every day. The COO is going to be the polar opposite in general. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be like, just give me the facts. When is it? Why isn't this done yet? 
you said it was only going to cost blah, blah, blah. Right, right. But they're going to be way more focused. You know, start, <clears throat> I'm painting with a broad brush, but generally that's going to be the COO is there to keep the CEO on a leash, basically. Right, right. <laughs> um, keep everything on track, like to, to make sure that the train gets to where you know, there's tracks that lead to where the, the CEO wants to go on the train. Mm-hmm. So that would be a non, you know, that's like a, that, that's like a fork in the road. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to cut costs and then COO is probably your person or do you want to um, mm-hmm. capture the big opportunity and, and talk more with the visionary, maybe a product person, you know, if it was yeah. a really big organization. Yeah. I feel like for where I'm at right now, I, I want to work with companies that are coming from web two over to web three who are maybe 50 to hundred people tops. Mm-hmm. And I want to work with the CEO and the CTO mm-hmm. because <clears throat> it's all about the, the big opportunity, which the CEO should understand mm-hmm. and why this is important. And the CTO is going to be responsible for the, the technical uh, direction. And that's the part that I will really help with. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, is it, it's a web two company. Is it a SaaS? Is it a social media platform? I think so. It's tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm still at the point where I'm thinking I can help anybody. Right. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's not true. You don't have time and you got to fish in a barrel, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I could go niche on gaming companies or something that's very industry specific. But I think that the applicability of what I'm talking about is much broader than that. And sure. I think I would run out of content if I just focused on gaming companies. I think that's highly unlikely. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I understand the impulse, but I I think it's pretty unlikely. Okay. And the and the other thing to point out is like positioning is not a face tattoo. So mm. Uh, it, it could be for 18 months. It could be for six months. It could be, mm. you know, you can broaden. Like Usually what happens is when somebody gets a really good, really narrow focused positioning statement or, you know, you know, and, and, and sort of propagates that through all of their messaging and they, they'll start to, when it's working, they'll immediately get traction in their target market. Yeah. And they'll, and you'll, and it'll be exciting. You can feel it. You, you start getting inbound leads like what inbound leads mm. and people on LinkedIn saying, oh, we need to talk. Here's my phone number. So great. And let's say you're, you're focusing on uh, at the time, let's say you were focusing just on like indie gaming studios. Sure. So it's like, okay, you start to get traction. And then what happens is, you know, cause you're doing a daily list, you're doing, uh, you're doing the podcast and the word spreads and what happens is people, you start to get leads from adjacent spaces because they are seeing the thing that you know already, which is that this is applicable to other industries. And, and what's wild is they come to you apologetically saying, I know I'm really not in your space, but could I, could I pay you for that strategy session? I I know I'm not a gaming studio, (laughs) but we do this other thing that's similar. It will not filter out people who get it. Like, like it'll actually, I think, I almost think that those people, the adjacent people are almost better leads than the ones in your target market. Sure. It's certainly not uncommon because they're, because they get it. Yeah. Yeah. They're the ones that really get it. So, you know, it was like, you know, if I'm always talking about ditching hourly billing, of course, eventually some lawyer is going to be like, Hmm, maybe I should look into this. But if I, if, if I just talked in general about 
hourly billing at a very theoretical platonic level, the platonic ideal of pricing or something, then it just gets so abstract that you only attract people that are like academic or who already understand what you're talking about and therefore don't need you. So it's all about, I mean, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of localization from web development. And it, it's like you almost need to localize blockchain and related technologies for a, a, a person who speaks a particular business language. Yeah. Yeah. To get, just to get, but just to get started, like once you have a, once you have a, a more broad reputation, you got these like, these like fawning testimonials for like how you transform their business and they had a billion dollar valuation after six months of working with you, then that word's going to spread. And then the fire starts to spread on its own. Like once you get it going, it starts to spread. So point being, this is me talking way too long about a point that you made, which is that you're not going to run out of content. Okay. Because then you can start talking about like, oh, well, here's an example from outside of my normal space, whatever, just talk about the other one. And then you're, you, you can, once, once you start the fire, like the magnifying glass focuses the sun's rays, starts the fire. Once you've got it sufficiently spread, you can put the magnifying glass down. Sure. It's not, it's not forever. Anyway. Cool. No, I like that. For, okay, cool. that. That's helpful. Um, I hadn't really thought about, you know positioning isn't forever. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that's a good, that's a good message. Um, because you're right. Like as I'm thinking through, you know, the different topics I could go over for gaming or whatever industry, there's definitely a lot of depth there. Um, and it's honestly like, it's the same content I've been writing. It's just a different lens. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you could, if you wanted to experiment with it, you could go out to, you could get in touch with a bunch of indie studios. That wouldn't be hard to find. Sure. And just say, hey, do you have any questions about blockchain or Web3 or anything like that? I'm mm -hmm. doing, you know, I do this daily newsletter or, you know, I'd love to have you on my podcast to interview you about it, about what your questions are, how you're yeah. thinking about it. And and you'd find out pretty quickly if there was actually any appetite. You know, it's yeah. just a hypothesis that we have here. You'd need to prove it, validate it. And, you know, for example, if you reached out to 50 indie game studio CEOs or CTOs and not one person took you up on the idea of interviewing you know, like doing a Q&A. Yeah. Well, then there's no like they're not interested. Yeah. But if 50% yeah. of them say yes, then all of a sudden, hmm. <laughs> okay. Good you point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And the questions that they ask would be 6 months worth of emails. <laughs> Maybe not 6 <laughs> yeah. months, but Yeah. You know. Good point. Um, and you know, fill out the, the podcast roster and all that. So, yeah, that too. So is, so, but not, to, I'm, not, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to push you in that direction. I'm just, sure. it just seems like the most obvious one so far. It seems like the best hypothesis so far, Yeah. but I do like the specificity of your sort of web to CEOs or CTOs at web two companies that employ 50 to hundred people. That's demographically, that's extremely specific. And you could pull up a list of those companies on LinkedIn very easily. Sure. And then you could go down that list and you could categorize them into different industries or different, you, you could kind of, I would imagine I would want to go down that list and think like, you know, I see this category, like, oh, there's a whole bunch of like media companies in that or like event planning companies. Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, no, that, roll that out um, or some kind of, uh, I don't know, online event production or remote event production or, or something. It's just something you're going to see patterns and be like, can I think of any interesting use cases for that industry? 
And, and if you can maybe come up with some ideas, then connect with those people and say, Hey, it's same thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, have you guys, have you guys, you know, I, I wouldn't say it explicitly. Like, do you have any appetite for web three? But it's <laughs> like, Hey, have you guys been exploring um, NFTs or crypto or blockchain or any of that stuff Right. for, and then insert idea that you think might be a, uh, an appropriate application of the technology for a business like that. And if you, you know, you're going to find out again, right away, they're going to be like, no, nah, we haven't thought about that at all. What's sure. that? Never heard of it. Or it's, or funny. You should ask. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. We've been searching around for a web three expert. Cool. No, that's, and then, yeah, that's good advice. Um, and I feel like I could easily throw together like a one to three page PDF that I could, you know, reskin with different industries and different mm-hmm. takes. Um, and, uh, just offer that as a lead magnet and then yeah, test the waters. Yeah. When I reach out, say, Hey, if you're interested, here's a, here's a document that you can get for free that maybe addresses some of your questions about web three for your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would, I would have a, I would do a little bit for something like this. If you're doing direct outreach, mm-hmm. um, I'd, I would, I'd move pretty slow there. I'd do a little courtship there even before asking for the email and say like, hmm. unless the person is like super hot to trot. Okay. So if, if they were like, um, I would just ask, I would just try and ask questions in DM or see if you can switch to phone or see if you can switch them to the podcast. If they, if they're like, if you sense an excitement. Yeah. Um, otherwise I, you know, you could certainly, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sort of a soft sell kind of guy. Like I'm just looking for people that I'm not the type of person to uh, like walk up to somebody and be like, Oh, it looks like you need my help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, you know, like you say back in the day when you, I'd see like a, a website or I'd use a website that was just hideous on a phone. And that was what I did for a living. I, I still wouldn't reach out to the CEO and be like, dude, have you seen your site on mobile? It's unusable. <laughs> and oh, by the way, I happen to fix that. You right. Know? Right. So I'd be, I would, I would think of it more, uh, just super exploratory, not even a list building exercise. That'll happen automatically because they'll see, you know, in my profile, I'd make sure my profile uh, on LinkedIn, if that's where you're going to do it, I'd make sure my profile was as clear as humanly possible sure. uh, for your, what your value proposition is and how they could, you know, what, what's in it for them if they interact with you. Um, uh, but yeah, I would just, I would just test the waters real, you know, make, connect with 20, 30 people a day, look for patterns in that, in the industries, come up with some potential use cases and then say, Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, blah, 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 whatever you think the use case might be. And then be like, who's this guy? And then it's going to say under your smiling face next to your name, uh, it's going to say, I, whatever, whatever you put yeah. that makes sense for the outreach that you're doing. So I, I would, I would even consider changing my headline while I'm doing the outreach if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. You okay. Know, so cool. Yeah. I might, I might just play around with the gaming angle. Cause I, I feel <laughs> I'm thinking about new things here now with, yeah, there's NFTs and all that, but you know, a lot of times game studios want to create a like a spin-off game and if you have mm. a lot of that data on the blockchain well you can keep the same logins and start players out with all the same items and skins that they had from the old game and Oof. and that sort of thing so interesting um, yeah there's there's lots of opportunities here that might be interesting to to game shops so yeah i mean again i'm not pushing that direction but when i when i do I, I always, but it, this is a really interesting one. And I see that because 
I can think of all of these ideas for emails and podcast episodes that that would be super interesting. Yeah. So like I can imagine interviews and stuff that you could do, and I'm not in your target market. I'm not in that target market, but if it'd be interesting to me and I'm not even in the target market, then you can imagine that for other people who are, it would be like must listen territory. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's just my head's exploding with ideas of questions that you could ask these people, different applications. You could have a whole series of like, you could find a bunch of people who have done that, like who's made spinoff games yeah, and, and yeah. just interview them about the experience of, of migrating the user accounts. What was that like? You know? And yeah, it, yeah, no end to the content. It would never go away. Cool. Even if you stayed focused, probably. Awesome. Well, that's really helpful. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, cool. I, <laughs> I would love to, to keep going on this, but I think uh, we're, we're probably over time here. Yeah, I'm, I'm nuking your day. But uh, <laughs> so the, the, the product ladder thing, we didn't, we don't, we can maybe loop back, do that over email. But what, I wouldn't start with a product ladder sure. yet sure. until you've, yeah, you, you want to find out who you're, you want to find out what your target market is and then what they want and then how you contri- can contribute to it. And then you can start thinking product ladder. Cool. Yeah. So, so. I've got some homework to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, let me know how it goes. Uh, and in the meantime, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing if they're interested in this stuff? Yeah. So the best place is probably lukewillis.com. Um, I have links to my newsletter and my social Twitter, LinkedIn, all that. So if you want to connect, feel free to shoot me an email at, uh, you can just subscribe to my newsletter and uh, hit reply at any point. I respond to, to any and every email. Great. All right. Yeah. If, if people are interested in any of the, all these shenanigans, looks a great, you know, straight talking, plain English type of resource, which I love. So check it out. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. My pleasure. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.